If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to be picking it up from verse 13. And uh, as you turn there, I just invite you to, to follow along uh, with me here as we read this section. It says, Then the little children were brought to him, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Well, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he said to them, which ones? And Jesus answered, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man answered him and said, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house, or brother, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or land, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Father God, we just come before you this morning, Father, and we ask, God, that you would give us eyes to see, Lord, that you would open up the understanding of our heart, God, that we might receive that which is from you. Father, that we would uh, just be attuned to your spirit as you guide and lead us this morning, Father, as we take a look at this section of scripture, God, we just want it to be such that just, God, as we, as we study, Father, that you, God, would come through. It's your word that matters. It's your voice we long to hear. We invite you to be a part of our service this morning. And we reach out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture begins in verse 13, and it kind of seems a little bit odd that it would be placed there. We just talked last week about what Jesus had to say about marriage and and, uh, really defining for us the way that God looks at marriage. And as we... Then finish up that, that concept, Matthew begins to talk about children. Well, it's not really shocking when we look at how the chapter ends. 
Because remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago about children. And in that society, they were low of the low. They didn't matter. They didn't matter till they came of age, until they had their bar mitzvah, until they were acknowledged as an adult. Then what they had to say or what they thought or who they were really mattered. But until that time, they were just born to be slaves of mom and dad. Well, some kids say, so how's that different today? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's not for you. But the idea in scripture here, as we look at verse 13, we want to understand a few things. The few things that we want to understand, and whenever we look at these sections, we want to see what's the whole word of God have to say. Luke chapter 18, Mark chapter 10 are parallel accounts of this very event. And Luke chapter 18, the, the word is, the word little children is, is really infant. Well, they were bringing babies to Jesus. And the babies they're bringing to Jesus, the disciples are rebuking them. Ah, don't bother him with babies right now. We got important things to do, you know, setting up a kingdom. You know, we got uh, the creator of the universe here, and he doesn't really have time for these little babies. But Jesus stopped them. And we've got to hold on to the understanding that Jesus lays out for them here because it's a big key in how we come to the Lord. He said, let the little children come to me for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, it's all about coming to him like a little child. And the little child that Luke tells us about is an infant. What does that mean? Totally dependent. Totally helpless. That's how we come to the Lord. Totally dependent. Totally helpless. Because many that are first will be last. And the last will be first. Coming to the Lord in in an understanding of our need. They brought these children to him. And just like we do today when we have a a baby dedication, Jesus laid hands on him, prayed for him, and he blessed them. And he, he touched all those who were brought to him. But at that time, we see the scripture goes on. It says, and as he laid his hands and he left that place, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? We're introduced to what scripture calls the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. He comes and he, and the scripture lays out for us in the gospel of Mark that he runs. He runs to him. And he drops down on his knees before Jesus. And he asks him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now most of us who, who maybe have the gift of evangelism or, or a desire to lead people to the Lord, we would be stoked if somebody came to us like this. Man, we're ready, right? I mean, we know the sinner's prayer. We, we're going to ask, you know, just tell them what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made. And with the heart, we have the work of belief occurring within us. Man, here, let me lay it out for you and let's pray the prayer. But Jesus didn't do that. Why? Man, people have been tripping up over it ever since. I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing when we look at the life of Jesus because Jesus was constantly building up humongous groups of disciples. Do you know that? 
Oh, we know at one time he fed 5,000 men, right? 5,000 men. That doesn't count any women or children. Who knows how many people were there at the time? At least 10,000, maybe more, following Jesus, disciples of him. And then Jesus would, would say something. He would give a teaching. And they'd all leave. John chapter 6, he said, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. It was a hard saying for people to understand. And the Bible tells us that people left, right and left. It does make me wonder. It does make me wonder when, when the crowds grew up, how many times the disciples said, Oh, here we go. Look at the people. Man, we've got 10,000 people with us. We're ready at any moment to just kick Rome out and take over. This will be the time. And then Jesus would give a sermon and they'd all go away. Interesting, isn't it? The, the, the crowds would come and Jesus would say, unless you hate your mother and father and sister and brother, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. We don't, we don't like to talk about those verses very much. And the people would leave. According to Acts chapter 2, at the end of Jesus' ministry, how many disciples did he have? 120. At one time, thousands followed him. But at the end of three years of ministry, Jesus had 120 gathered in an upper room praying in one accord that God would pour out his spirit upon the world. And the Lord answered, and the spirit came. Peter preached the first sermon, and 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. A couple days later, 5,000, and here we are today. The size that we are, however many believers there are in the world. But it all started with 120 after three years of ministry. And a lot of people, they look at it and they say, yeah, yeah, but that's disciples. I mean, that's not the same thing. I'm a Christian. Well, it's interesting because in the Bible, 269 times in the Gospels is the word disciple used. Three times the word Christian. Why is that? What is it that the Lord is looking for in the people that followed him? He had a lot of things to say. I mean, he would, he would tell people, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And we read that verse today and we, we somehow come up with the idea... Man, I, I'm doing that. I mean, I get it. Deny myself. It's not about me. Take up my cross. That's an implement of torture, destruction. And follow Jesus. I mean, last night, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I'm a little tired. Been kind of a stressful week. I ran down to California to take care of a rental that got uh, had a bomb go off in it. <laughs> and uh, we got it all situated and... And uh, I, was, I was sharing, I'm kind of a pessimist. I don't know about you guys. I'm a pessimist, so I'll set up in my mind how bad it can be, you know. And then I'm always, I'll do it super bad so that when I get there, I think, there, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to be happy because it's not so bad. It's really a drag when I'm right. 
But we got Jeff, Jeff Masters went down with me and we got the house. And before we get to the second day, the Lord brought renters, signed a two year lease. All the things worked out. I mean, it couldn't have worked out any better than it did. But I come home and I'm pretty tired and I'm pretty wiped out. And, and, uh, Thursday was, uh, 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 the day we drove. Friday was a busy day. Saturday I was here all day getting things, some things tied up. And anyway, I get home Saturday night and I just want to sit down and chill. You ever feel like that? Yep, I just want to sit down and chill. Your mama wanted to talk. <laughs> so I'm trying to be a good husband. And I'm trying to, to sit and listen, but I don't want to. I don't want to listen. I don't want to hear. I don't want to think. I don't want to do nothing else. I just want to sit here and chill out. So that's how I was listening. All the women know what I'm talking about, don't you? All the guys are like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was, I was listening, but, you know, if, they, if there was a pause, I was disconnect. And she'll pause between words every now and again just to check me on that. She paused, and I was like, what else is going on? <laughs> so we had a little scuffle. And I said, fine, I'm going to bed. And I got up and I went to bed. I'm laying in bed and I can hear Kathy's upset still in the other room. I know she's upset in the other room because I can hear her doing the dishes. <laughs> she's still upset. And the, and the voice of God speaks to me and he says, Jackie, you're supposed to love your wife like I love the church. And I gave myself for her, so I want you to go and apologize and make it right. And I laid there in that bed and I said, no. <laughs> I said, I don't want to. I don't want to. This is dumb. We shouldn't have had a dumb fight about this dumb stuff. And I just don't care. I, I said I about 50 times. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said... Unless you deny yourself, you have no part in my kingdom. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa. I'm not denying myself. I'm being selfish. How many times a day do we do that? And we think we're denying ourselves? <laughs> I won't tell you where I caught her, but I got up and I went and I... Told Kathy, I'm, hey, babe, I'm sorry. I shouldn't treat you like that. I love you. And everything was okay and everything was good. Because I was obedient to what God's word says. Unless you deny yourselves. This guy runs up to Jesus and he says, Lord, what must I do? Now the problem with him is what he's, he's, he's putting his faith in himself, right? I can accomplish this. So Jesus is going to take him on a little journey. And on that journey, he's going to talk about the same thing we just talked about. Now listen, you're saying, well, I'm not married, so I don't really understand that. Listen, open up the word and think about the things that Jesus asks you to do. And how many times you say no. And then answer this question. Who is your God really? Self? Work? Family? Who is it? 
God's going to speak to the deeper need in this rich young ruler. He comes running up. He wants to know. Listen, do we want to know what God wants to do in our life? Most, all of us would say, yes, I want to know. And then we have this concept, this idea that this is some secret that God doesn't want to tell us. And we got to just crawl before the Lord and beg him to reveal his will in our life and his direction in our life. God wants you to know. He's not trying to keep it a secret. He wants to show you. In most cases, he has already shown you. But you're laying in the bed like I was. And we say no. And we worship at the altar of self. The Lord wants us to be able to overcome that. The Lord wants this rich young ruler to be able to overcome it as well. So he comes to him and he says, good teacher. Now listen, I want everybody to understand something when they read their Bibles. Bibles are full of lots of neat little helpful things and helpful hints. But the helpful hints and the helpful things are not inspired. Do you know that? Oftentimes I, I get irritated. I read verses and the verse says something like, this is not really part of the uh, best manuscripts. And we all wonder, what exactly does that mean? I'll be more than happy to tell you. In this particular section, we read this, and there will be a footnote in our Bible that says something about, like, uh, the, the part that says there's, uh, um, why do you ask me about what is good? The, the new or the best text omits the word good, and, and there's this confusion on it. And then it'll say, the, the, the teachers will say, oh, it's, in, it's not in the best manuscripts. What a bunch of hooey. That's just stupid. That makes it sound like, you know, there's places where this is not found. Yeah, it's true. There are 5,553 manuscripts of the original language that contain this, this verse. Of the 5,553 manuscripts, two don't have it. Is that the best manuscripts? Really? The best manuscripts. Oh, the best ones. Why are they the best ones? They're old. They're the oldest ones. You realize in the Jewish history, when they would write the scripture, what they would do with the oldest copies? When something was copied again, you'd realize what they would do? They destroyed them. Because their copy was so perfect. We know we go to the, the Dead Sea Shrine. We see the shrine of the book. The book of Isaiah. A thousand years predating anything we have. And it is exactly what you have in your Bible in front of you. A thousand years earlier than the earliest manuscript of Isaiah that we have. The oldest doesn't mean the best. 5,551 manuscripts have it just like you read it. That's why it's still in there. That's why it's supposed to be in there. So when you look at your helps, be aware of that. Because your helps are not inspired. They're just there to try to help. Right? They're just there to try to help. Understand. Do your homework. Realize what it is that they're talking about. Well, listen. Here's Jesus' response. He said to them, Why do you call me good? For no one is good but one, and that is God. Jesus is saying right here in verse 17, he's letting everybody know, everybody who's listening, 
He says, why are you calling me good? He doesn't say, don't call me good. He says, why are you calling me good? Because there is only one good. The psalmist laid it out that only God is good. The book of Romans tells us there is none good. No, not one. How many does that mean is good? None. So it means we are, none of us are good. Breaks my heart every time I hear someone tell me that they're, they're going to be good enough to have a relationship with God if they do enough good things. The Bible is very clear. There is none good. Jesus said no one's good but God. He wants this guy to realize that the one to whom he is coming for help is the only one who can help him. God in the flesh. Only one is good. If you're coming to me for good advice... It's not going, good advice does not flow out of an evil person. Jesus is saying, God is good. What we say, what we have to say, it doesn't mean anything. What's God have to say? What's his word declare? He says, there's none good but, but one, God. And so he lays out to him, but if you want to enter into life, pray a prayer, be baptized, join a church, and you'll be good to go. Is that what he said? It's interesting because he said, keep the commandments. That's legalism. Are you sure? He said, keep the commandments. Leviticus 18.5 says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which, if a man does this, he shall live. I am the Lord. Leviticus 18 tells us, the Lord laid out for us that the law is good. Listen, there's nothing wrong in the law. The problem is in us. Well, that's Old Testament, Jackie. Well, good. Let's go to the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. Oh, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You want to live? You want to have eternal life? Keep the commandments. But there is a problem, isn't there? The problem is, in James chapter 2, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, is guilty of it all. How many sins do you have to commit to become a sinner? How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? How many things you got to steal to be a thief? Man. So Jesus is laying out for him and the understanding, yeah, hey, here's the deal. Keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, it's by the commandments, it's through the commandments that we see our own sin. But he can't see his own sin. All he can see is his religiosity, the the things he's able to do. Isn't that what he asked Jesus? What can I do? I need to do something. But listen, here's an important part. This guy is somebody who legitimately wants to know God. He legitimately wants to uh, have eternal life. He wants to experience that. And he knows all the things that he's done so far fall short. Something's missing. He knows something's missing. And I bet if we're all honest about our relationship with God, been a time or two we felt like something's missing. What's missing? 269 times Jesus uses the word disciple. I've heard disciple broken up into three different aspects. 
Three different aspects of the disciples that we see following Jesus. You have the casual listener, the guy who would come and hear the words of Jesus, right? And follow him, and the the Bible calls them disciples. That they came and they followed him, They're, they're just a casual listener, the next group you have is a convinced listener. They're buying into it. They're, they're believing some of the things that Jesus is saying. They're, they're a convinced listener. But the third group is a group that is, is just so small in Scripture. The third group is a committed learner and follower. All three are disciples. And when I consider that, I wonder, which category am I? Am I a casual listener? A convinced listener? I'm buying in. Am I a committed learner and follower? But here, this guy, in his relationship, he had to know something about Jesus. He comes running to him and says, you know, good teacher, tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. He's obviously heard the things Jesus had to say. He's heard some of his teachings. He comes, Jesus says, keep the commandments. And so he wants to know which ones. There are 613 commandments in the Bible. Oh, you thought there was only 10, huh? See? There's 613, and I promise you, if they won't let us put 10 up in the schoolroom, they're not going to let us put 613. He says to him, he replies to Jesus, he said, he said, which ones? So Jesus answered, he said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He lists out only the commandments that deal with our relationship with others. Doesn't talk about any of the commandments that deal with our relationship with God. Only with the ones that deal with relationship, our relationship with others. And he leaves one commandment out. And for the one commandment that he leaves out, he substitutes, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes there's just as much to learn by what's not a part of the list but as, as much as what is. The commandment that he left out that deals with our relationship with others is, you shall not covet. He's laying out for him. He's telling the guy what his problem is. And he tells him in that very last phrase, you will love your neighbor as yourself. But listen to how the guy responds. Here he's faced with the law, the law that the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, this is what you need to keep. He's faced with that law and he says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Seriously? He's a good Jewish boy. What is he saying? He's saying, in every area of these laws where I have stumbled and fallen, I have given the appropriate sacrifice. So I've kept it. I've given the appropriate sacrifice. But the problem is that sacrifice doesn't remove your guilt, it covers it. Only one sacrifice removes the guilt. That's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he made for us. 
He says, all these things I've kept from my youth, but he still understands. He still knows in all of that stuff. He still says, what do I lack? He knows something is missing. This is a big clue for me when we talk about this specific scripture and some of the other scriptures that we'll take a look at this morning and the understanding that, hey, something's missing. I want to go before the Lord. I want to come before him and I want to say, Lord, if I feel like something's missing in my relationship with him, I need to come before him just like this guy, kneel before him and ask. But unlike this guy, when he tells me I need to be obedient, need to be obedient one thing is still missing but listen i want you to see just the heart of jesus in talking with this guy if you turn to the right to mark the the gospel of mark around verse 21 we'll see the the verse that mark lays out for us it occurs right after at this point right as this guy's coming to him and he's saying one thing is still missing one thing is still absent in my life in mark chapter 10 and jesus looked at him and loved him. And that is awesome to me. I don't want you to miss that. And I don't want to just stumble by it. This guy comes to me, kneels before him. Lord, what do I need to do? And there's still something lacking in my life. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks at him and says, looking at him, he loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack. He could have said a hundred things you lack. He could have said 19 things you lack. But there was one specific thing, one specific issue for this man. And Jesus is going to touch on that one specific issue. That one specific issue. Back in Matthew chapter 19, he says, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Jesus laid out for him the one issue. He gave unto him an invitation to become that disciple. Here's what's holding you back, brother. Here's the thing that you, you're, you're saying to yourself. Something's not right. Something's not right in my relationship. Something's not right in, in what's going on between me and the Lord. Something is not okay. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him what his issue is. He tells him his issue. He lays out for us in verse 22. When the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Actually, his possessions had him. Well, that was the issue. He said, if you want to be perfect, you remember we've talked a few times in the Greek about the word if. There's a four class, four different class conditions of the word if. This is if in the first class, or A in the indicative. It basically means since you want to be complete. Since you want to be complete, you want to know what's missing in your life. What thing is holding you back from being What God wants you to be. Sell everything you have. 
Jesus meets this guy right where he's at, and he's going to ask him to do three things. The first thing he says is, sell everything you have. Sell it all. Now, while you're thinking about that and chewing on that, I want you to listen to what Luke wrote in chapter 14, verse 33. Luke 14, 33 says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what are you saying? It sounds like you're adding things. You're, you're, you're saying that there's something we have to do. This guy came and said, what do I need to do? And you're saying on one hand, you don't need to do anything. You trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah, remember what we talked about? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth. That's say the words. Believe in your heart. That's the deed. The truth of our life is when word and deed become one. That's truth. Oh, that sounds like works to me. What did James write in the book of James? Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. Oh, how's that work out? Let me explain it to you. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Lord led the apostle Paul to compare our relationship with God with a marriage. He said, I speak to you not of marriage, but of this relationship between the church and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Between us and him. And we look at that marriage relationship. Let's look at that marriage relationship. How about I just tell my wife I love her? Is that good enough? I'll tell her every day, 10 times a day, 200 times a day, but I'm never going to do another thing. Do I love her? Well, what about the other way? What if, uh, what if uh, the ladies, they come to their... Husband, and they tell their husband that they respect him every single day, but they'll never do a thing about it. They just say the words. Does that sound like a relationship we want? If we're honest, we'll say, man, no, it ain't just about the words you say. It's also about what? The things we do. I'm not doing anything to, to earn her love. What I'm doing is... Showing the truth of what I confess with my mouth and what I believe in my heart. I'm showing the truth of what I confess with my mouth and what I believe in my heart. When I say, listen, I love my wife and so I'm going to do things to express that love to her. Because that's truth. Where word and deed become one. Where word and deed become one. The first thing Jesus said is sell everything you have. What is the one thing? I'm not going to even talk to you about money. What is the one thing you're holding on to that's more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he says, unless you forsake it all, you cannot be my disciple. Reputation. Checkbook. Car, motorcycle. Watch out how he takes those things away. (laughs) What is the one thing? Jesus said to this man, one thing you lack. The problem was the possessions had him. 
It's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but Jesus laid out for him, sell what you have. What's the next thing he told him? The next thing he told him is, seek treasure in heaven. Sell everything that you have and you will have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Are we seeking treasure in heaven? Because he told us in Matthew already, Matthew chapter 6. Just turn to the left a little bit and we'll see it. Matthew chapter 6. The Lord laid out for us. Beginning around verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp or the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, the whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? For no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon. You can't serve two masters. Jesus said there's only room in your life for one master. There's only room for one. He is the good one. He's the one we need. And he is worthy of us forsaking everything else for him. If we came, each of us, individually to the Lord, just like this rich young ruler, and we said to him, Lord, one thing I lack, and he was to say to us, here's the one thing that's missing, what would he say? What would he say is the one thing? You know how they catch spider monkeys? Is that a random thought? (laughs) Well, they take this little cage... And they chain this little cage to the ground. And inside this little cage, they put a bunch of marbles. And a hole big enough for the spider monkey to stick its hand in. But the spider monkey thinks, oh, the pretty little marbles. And he sticks his hand in the cage and he grabs a handful of marbles. And right then, the hunters come out of the jungle. And he's sitting there going, rawr, 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 holding on to the, the box with his hand onto a bunch of dumb marbles. And he won't let go. So the hunter comes up and catches him. Because he's holding on to the dumb marbles. What dumb marbles are you holding on to? What's so important? What has that value in your life more than Christ? That you're unwilling to cling to Christ with everything that you have. To come with him for everything that you have. But you want to hold on to this one other thing. Whatever that other thing is. That's the thing Jesus would say to you. Let it go. He would say one thing you lack. Let it go. Forsake it. Maybe it's me. Like laying in the bed thinking, well, I really matter. And how I feel is the most important thing right now. So I'm going to do what makes me happy. Welcome to the altar of self. The first thing Jesus would say to me is deny yourself. And take up your cross daily. That means I got to die every day. Because you know what? When I wake up in the morning, you know who I wake up with? Myself. He's still there. Man, I try to get rid of him. I try to make him smaller. I try to do all kinds of things with him. I spend a lot of time on self. 
In fact, if we were to go back and consider how much time we spend on self compared to how much time we spend on the Lord, what would it look like? Right now, somebody's thinking, yes, my wife spends like hours in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe you need to spend a little more time too. I don't know. <laughs> How does it look? How does it look? How does it relate? How can we, can we see what he's saying? He wants us to seek treasures in heaven, our focus being on him, not on the things of this earth, not on ourselves, not on anything, whatever that thing is. If it's mother, father, a, a man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you. Just let me go bury my father. You remember what Jesus said? Let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Either be consumed with me or be consumed with your father, but you can't be consumed with both. Either he, Jesus Christ, is my motivating factor in why I do the things I do, or something else is. And whatever that thing is, the Lord would call us to forsake it. Let it go. Let it go. Let go of the marbles and allow God to meet us in that place. This guy goes away sad. But the third thing he said, he says, first, one, sell what you have. Second, seek treasure in heaven. Third, submit to Jesus Christ. Follow me. Follow me. I was following Jesus and things have just been going south ever since. Huh. Those two comments shouldn't go together, I don't think. I'm following Jesus. Though he slay me, I will serve him. That's what Job said. Though he slay me, I will serve him. I'm following him. Good, bad, or ugly. He takes it all or he takes nothing. He gives me everything or he doesn't give me a single thing. I'm following Jesus, period. Oh, but things are hard. Well, welcome to the altar of self. How do you like it there? I hate that place. I'm never satisfied there. I always want something else. It doesn't matter what I feed self. Self always wants more stuff. And more and more and more. And I'm not going to go to the altar of self anymore. I want to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and deny myself. It's not about me, Lord. It's not about me. It's not about this. I want to submit to him. I want to follow him. I want to go where he leads me. I want to be who he wants me to be. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 20 through 27, just above uh, verse 33, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's that's pretty clear. What's he mean? I got to hate my mom and dad? No, what he means is I got to love the Lord so much that every other relationship in my life looks like that. Pales in comparison to the love with which I have for Christ. A great example of that for me is the life of Joseph. You guys remember Joseph? His brothers said he's a big tattletale, always telling dad about what they've done. Remember? 
And they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery and he did all these things. Well, Joseph in his entire life, as we read about leading up to the time as his brothers hate him, he cared more about what his father thought than what his brothers thought. That's a good picture to me of how I ought to be caring more about my father in heaven than I care about everything else. How's it look to the Lord? What am I doing for Him? i got to forsake everything. When I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, one thing I lack, the Lord looks down on me and He says, Man, Jackie, you love the relationship with your friends more than you love me. Jackie, you love a relationship with your strangers more than you love me. You care more about making them feel uncomfortable than denying me. I'm supposed to love him. The primary love in my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Primary. First. Above and beyond everything else. Submit myself to the Lord. Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Man, I want to follow the Lord. But this guy, he went away. Didn't follow him. And Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The word for it is hard in the Greek is the word daskalos. It only appears in this story in the entire Bible. And it means impossible. So just in case somebody comes along and tells you that the eye of the needle is really a small opening in a door. That if you crawl down and you get that camel down in his, his his knees, and you get enough people behind him to shove, they can push him through. No, the word hard in the Greek means not just hard, impossible, that hard. It is not possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. We can't get there based on our riches. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow! Do you know why we say in this country that we are blessed of God? Because of all the stuff we got. I mean, we still think that wealth equals the blessing of God. We still think that the abundance of stuff is the blessing of God. We're the most blessed nation on earth. I find myself saying it. Look at all the good things that... That God has given us. Look at all the riches that we have. Those riches don't mean that we're walking in a place that we're supposed to be walking with the Lord. Our riches can't get us into heaven. Paul would write, not many rich, not many strong, not many mighty are called. I'm thankful that he didn't say not any. Because every one of us in this room is in the top 10% on the earth in wealth. So if we're thinking, now oh, this rich young ruler really didn't have anything to do with me. I don't know. We're sitting pretty high on the hog from where I sit. Even the, the, the least of us has so much. And to whom much is given, much is required. Much is required. Well, he says, listen, he says these things. And his disciples are blown away. And they're greatly astonished. And they say, then who can be saved? How can, if the rich can't be saved, <coughs> who can be saved? Who can be saved? Because they thought that being rich meant that you were in good standing with God. The rich young ruler thinks being rich is, means you're in good standing with God. Sometimes we in this country think being rich means we're in good standing with God. 
<clears throat> and if we're in bad standing with God, we'll be poor and he'll take all that stuff away. But our wealth has nothing to do with it. Our wealth won't get us into heaven, but our wealth can keep us out. Especially if our faith is in our wealth and the stuff that we have and not in Almighty God. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17 is where <clears throat> coming toward the end of, of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Here's what Jesus had to say at the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. This was the problem that he had with them. Because you say, I am rich and I am wealthy and I have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The problem with the church of Laodicea, everybody wants to say their problem is they're lukewarm. No, the problem is they didn't recognize their need. They didn't recognize their need. They thought, we're good. We're blessed of God. We're in right standing with God because we have riches. But the Lord says, you don't know that you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't see your need. Just like the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler comes and says, I've kept all those from my youth. We can almost laugh hearing ourselves say such things. Yeah, I, I don't lie. You just did. <laughs> he, he you know, we, we come to that place. We want to have eyes to see. That's the problem with riches. That's the problem with wealth. We think that that's the blessing of God. But you know, there's a... A great example. Jesus goes on in verse 26. And he looked at them and he said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Ah, praise God for that. Praise God that he said that. First Timothy chapter 6 lays out for us that we brought nothing into this world. How much are we going to take out? Job said, Naked I came and naked I will return. It doesn't matter how much I like my stuff. It stays behind. I can't take it with me, but I can send it ahead. Am I invested in the kingdom of God? Am I invested in what God's doing? I'm not just talking about money, although I do talk about that. But not just money, time, effort. Are you invested in the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, folks, is not just church. There's a lot of things that... that the kingdom of God is about. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 16, the Lord said, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. Does everybody know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was? Well, a lot of people would say the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. That's the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah, so God just had to wipe them off the face of the earth. Uh, there's just one problem. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah was fullness of food, idleness of time, and she didn't care about the poor. That's why God wiped her out. Fullness of food, idleness of time, didn't care about the poor. God cares about how we treat those who would be hungry, those who are in prison, doesn't he? What's it say in Matthew chapter 25? Jesus said... Enter into my kingdom, for when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. 
And we said, Lord, when did we do any of those things to you? And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. God wants us to be a part of those things. Are you investing in the kingdom of heaven? Am I investing in the kingdom of heaven? It's staggering. We started looking at the numbers of things, the craziness that's going on in the world, but 6.8 billion people on the face of the planet. And roughly a third, if you take the, the best uh, uh, statistic, roughly a third is Christian. And if all those are truly Christian, that still leaves... Four billion people who aren't. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Are you investing in the kingdom of heaven? Hey, this is about the time where people get all crazy and they want to send you to Africa. They want you to go to the Philippines. Listen, I don't want you to go to none of those places. Here's what I want you to do. Go across the street. Go to your neighbor. Go across the gas pump aisle to the guy on the other side. Because there are people right here in need of understanding and knowing who Jesus Christ is. Are you invested in the kingdom of heaven? It isn't just about forsaking all means I present myself to him and say I'm, your, I'm a tool in the hands of the master. Where are you going to point me? Lord, you put me in front of somebody who's not a believer. I'm going to tell them about you. My job not to save nobody. My job just to tell them, are you invested in the kingdom of heaven? Or am I only invested in my 401k? Is my 401k bad? No. Is it bad to have wealth? No. Was there rich people who were saved in the Bible? Absolutely. You want to know one of them? His name is Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, the very next chapter, dealing with the rich young ruler, goes to Zacchaeus. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus is a traitor. Everybody hates him. Nobody likes him. He's sick, full of money. Jesus sees him up in the tree. We all sing the song in Sunday school, didn't we? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We remember, right? Wee little man was he. You guys don't remember? You didn't sing that song in Sunday school? So, I thought you guys would all join me and we'd have a chorus of that song, but... You just left me hang by myself. So he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree. He says, Zacchaeus, i got to go to your place, and I'm going to hang out with you. And Zacchaeus is stoked, and he comes down the tree, and Jesus comes to his house. And the scripture tells that day salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus said, Lord, I'm going to give half of everything that I have to the poor. And then he said, not only I'm going to give half, but if I ever ripped anybody off, I'm going to pay them back four times. Why? What happened in Zacchaeus' life? Jesus became more important than everything else he had. That's all. And not, don't get hung up on the money part. Jesus became more important than everything he had. How do I know? Because of what he did. How's my wife know I love her? Because of what I do. Man, it's about forsaking all that stuff listen as we close out peter says now peter just about the time we're thinking we haven't heard from peter he's going to talk he says see we left everything to follow you therefore what will we have what about us lord what about us what do we get what do we get so jesus said assuredly i say to you that in the regeneration when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory 
You who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. God has a plan in the kingdom, a new beginning. And verse 29 is for you and me. Do you see what it says? And everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or land for me, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Everyone who leaves any of those things for me are going to get back more than you can even imagine. Man, we're not, we don't lose anything with Christ. Do you guys get that? We don't lose it. When we forsake everything for him, we don't lose it. We gain everything. We're like the monkey holding on to the marbles. And here comes a hunter with the club. Going to whop me on the head. But I'm going to hold on to those worthless little marbles that are going to burn anyway. Or I can let go of those marbles and I can cling to Christ. And as I cling to Christ, I'm going to gain everything that I lost with those marbles. I'm going to gain freedom. I'm going to gain the, the, the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm going to gain everything I need. Tell me how in the world you're going to find a renter for your house when you haven't even put an ad in the paper. And all you've done is climb into your house and start working, tearing out carpet and painting. I hadn't talked to nobody. Seven in the morning till midnight, we worked on that house. I didn't have no time to go out, put an ad in the paper, talk to nobody. I found a renter. Because Jesus said, nobody will leave house... And I won't take care of him. He took care of it. Man, that's the real. Jesus said, go. I could have said, I ain't going until I sell my house. I'd still be there. But Jesus said, go. And I said, okay. So I left house. And every time I go back there, I see something else I left. Son. But I also left my son. And I also left my grandbaby. Who grew up. She don't know who I am. I don't hold it against her. I do what I can. We call when we can. We Skype when we can. But it's not the same as being there, right? And a grandson. But none of those things move me. I love them. And I'll love them to my dying day. But Jesus said, I'll gain so much more for being faithful to him than I'll ever lose. What's that mean? I don't know. I don't know what the relationship's going to be 10 years from now. Do you? I don't know. Hopefully I'm providing a good example for them, the desire to follow. But what I do know is what Jesus said. No one who leaves house, mother, father, brother, sister, wife, who loses land or anything for my name's sake will not receive more, Luke says, here and eternal life. God will take care of you. That's why we can tithe. God will take care of us. That's why we don't have to stress out about the political situation or the economy. Because God will take care of us. Forsake all and cling to him. For some who are first, he says, will be last. 
and the last will be first. I'm just going to close out. I just want to read this section in the Gospel of Luke as we close tonight and, and as, uh, or this morning. It's almost tonight. If I keep talking, it will be. <clears throat> Sorry. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said to them, Take heed and beware covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And he spoke a parable, and he said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll give it to the poor, and I'll feed the needy, and I'll visit the... No, that's not what he said, huh? Uh, So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns. And build greater, and I'll store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many things laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, Fool, this night your soul has been required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Man, I want to be rich toward God. Pharisees and the Sadducees, they all thought that they were good. Everything that they did was everything that was necessary. That they were blessed of God and that God loved them and watched over them. One day one of them came to Jesus and he said to him, Lord, will there be few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. And you begin to say, but we ate with you, and we drank in your presence, and you, and you taught in our streets. And he said, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. Listen to this. They will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there, the last will be first. And there are those who are first that will be last. Nation of Israel thought everything they had, they had because of their relationship with God. We're God's favorite. And Jesus said to them, you're going to come knock on a door, but you're not going to get in. Even though I walked your streets. But many will come from the east, the west, the north, and the south. Most people look at that and they say, the narrow gate is barely anyone who's going to get saved. And then there's, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is people are going to come from everywhere. Who's not getting saved is you. You who? You who thought you were first based on a relationship that you didn't have. Man, know that you know that you love God with all your heart because that's all God ass of us right Deuteronomy chapter 6 love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength but don't just say it with your words live it with your life amen let you stand with me let's pray heavenly father Lord God we just thank you for this time that we can open your word we thank you for the truth of your word God and we do ask Lord this morning father that Only that which is of you would remain. Father God, all the garbage, all the junk, just filter away, Lord. And what we're left with is the word that you have for us today. God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts. And as we come before you and we ask that question, Lord, is there something I lack? Maybe I'm great. It's good. Praise the Lord. 
<clears throat> stay on task. Keep moving forward until we see our Lord and Savior. But if you're like that rich young ruler and you're saying, one thing I lack, what is it? Come before your Lord and lay it up to him. Walk away from the altar of self and walk to the altar of Jesus Christ. For he is worthy of all our affection. He is worthy of all our trust. He is worthy of all our praise. For he is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to provide. He is able to do a perfect work in our life. Just allow him to do it. Let go of the marbles and let God lead you. Follow him. Take up your cross. and Follow Jesus. Lord, we just pray that you move in this place in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a-